I'm Lisa Smith Henderson. I'm the host of Alma Am I Racist, the podcast. To find out more about who Alma is and how she inspired me, you can go to my website, almaamiracist.com. We have a returning guest who's always very popular. Christian Smith is with us today. You can go to his website, christianasmith.com. He's a pastor of the faith community. He's the founder of P-Squared Custom Clothiers, which has some fabulous shoes now, by the way. Uh, he created Holy Smokes, Cigars and Spirituality. And what we're going to be talking about today is his book, Breaking All the Rules. And Christian, of course, I'm delighted to have you back. It's always fun to see you and be with you. Oh, it's always fun to be here, Lisa. We it's, it's we it's like we're just like recording conversation that we would have naturally anyway. So. Yes, <laughs> and that's what I like. I like it, and we can just share that. Now, uh, I got this idea. I I saw your Facebook post, one of them, a month or so ago, uh, for breaking all the rules, uh, mm -hmm. the greatest commandment theology, and I said, oh, that would make a good Father's Day gift. I think I commented. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to do this for my husband. So hopefully it won't ruin his surprise right. <laughs> when he hears it. So I ordered a book and asked you to write to him because I think, you know, women a lot of times tend to be more open to new ideas. Mm -hmm. I, I hope I'm not generalizing too much. And sometimes men have to have the women in their lives say, hey, why don't you take a look at this? Or why don't you read this? And my husband had expressed interest in your book. And I was wow. like, oh, you've got to read it. It's great. So I thought, well, this is perfect. So then it led me to, let's do a book about Father's, I mean, a, a conversation about Father's Day and use your book as a framework. Nice. So I'd like to start by you telling us a little bit about your father, because he sounded like such a cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> My my dad, you know, he was legendary in my eyes, and I mean, you know, he a, a lot of people revered my dad. His name was Willie James Smith. He was from Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, when he married my mom, they moved to California, where they raised my sister and I, and my older brother also spent his teenage years with us. So he's just like a really big personality. He was disruptive in a lot of ways he made people feel special whenever they came into his presence and he was a no-nonsense kind of guy too uh, he was stubborn sometimes but he was very intelligent and just really cared about people and he's somebody i've i've modeled myself after in many ways and a lot of times when i am talking to my mom or other people in my family they remind me of how like that's something your dad would say. That's something your dad would do. It's like my my team at the faith community, they know my dad through me because my team will rag on me about uh, statements that I make and how I handle them. And my mom, who's a part of the team, will say, oh my God, that is his dad. His dad will say the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, so I really uh, honor my father's legacy and I hope I continue to, to make him proud. Well, of course you have. And he was a pastor also. Yes, he was a pastor my entire life. 
my dad was a pastor. I'm a fifth generation Baptist preacher. And I use the term Baptist loosely because I'm not sure if all Baptists will want to claim me. But uh, <laughs> you're a little radical. OK, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm on the radical end of Baptist. And Christian, if you had to say, and this is probably very difficult, if your father was that larger than life man with great witticisms and wisdom, when you think of a quote that w- has been powerful in your life that he said, what would it be? Man, a quote or an attitude. I don't have quotes from my dad. But an attitude is my dad cared about people. And I believe he handed that to me. Like even there, I've evolved in my thinking and my theology drastically from what my dad equipped me with. But he equipped me to think critically. But with all of that, even with my, some of the limitations of my dad's theology, in his heart, he cared about people. And he was disruptive for his generation. He did things that people in his generation thought were radical. So I've just like kind of continued that legacy and it's all rooted in wanting to embrace and love people. Well, that's a hell of a legacy. I agree. I I mean, that's, that's an amazing legacy. And look what you've done with it. We're working on it. You know, people sometimes struggle with the word God and God the Father because they may have had an abusive father or issues with their father. When you think about God as Father, what does that bring up for you? Oh, it's a mixed bag of emotions because, and a mixed bag of thoughts as well because I appreciate God as Father and much of that is rooted in my lived experience. But I am not the keeper of human experiences. I'm the keeper of my own human experience. So based on my experience, I relate well to God as father. I had a great relationship with my father. He was my caretaker. He was the one that, and when I say caretaker, I'm not saying, you know, over and against the way my mother cared for me, but I'm saying he was provider. He helped develop me and wisdom and, and critical thinking and how to be a mature, responsible adult. And then one thing I always appreciated about my dad is that when he did realize he was wrong, he was mature enough and courageous enough to say he was sorry. And I've always appreciated that. Yeah. It took him a while to get there sometimes, but he would get there. Yeah. So I have a great connection to God as father, but then I also grieve the fact that God as Father is the only uh, motif I was offered as a kid. I was never allowed or given permission to see God as anything other than Father. So that's where I grieve because I realize now how much bigger God is than Father. But because of the way we're socialized in many of our churches, we think it's blasphemous to refer to God as anything other than Father. As she? <laughs> Correct. Yes. Or, you know, like calling God mother. Thank you, mother God. Like that's blasphemous in church. And we could like go into all of those weeds about why it is. But that's the part of that I grieve. I know, Pamela, your wife is a therapist and deals with religious trauma. So maybe I should have her on to talk about this also. But that would be great. When you run into people who have this block against God because they see God as father. 
how does that work in your pastoring to them? I, I give people permission as a faith leader to commune with God in a way that enriches them. So if God as Father is triggering to you or it makes it hard for you to connect, then relate to God as whatever you need God to be. Because in my church tradition, we say God is whatever you need him to be. God is a father to the fatherless, a mother to the motherless. We've run that list until it comes down to pronouns. And then all of a sudden, we get really strict about what God can be. So it's much broader. Absolutely. Like any, anything bigger than myself could be God. More right. Powerful. Yeah. Church people get really upset when, when people refer to God as the universe. Because we, we are, we're also made an idol out of the human depiction of God. This, we, is the, the word is anthropomorphism. We have given God human-like qualities. Whereas God is bigger than all of that. God is not a human. If we are privileged at some point throughout the rest of eternity to actually encounter God in real time, we don't know what God will look like. <laughs> right. It could, it could be a vapor. God could be a mist. God could be a person. God could be a mountain. God could be a tree. We don't know what God will be. Right. I always envision the monolith in 2001, a space odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was the first time I was like, oh, God could be something besides a, a man with a white beard on a cloud. It, exactly. But, you know, the anthropomorphism of God helps us to connect to God better. So we, we create this image of God as a human because that helps us to relate to God better. But that doesn't work for everybody. Some people don't want to relate to God as another human. And why should we stop them? So the question I always ask is, how does the greatest commandment apply here? And let's talk about that from your book, Breaking All the Rules. That is the heart of it. Correct. Greatest commandment theology, which... I know you like to say you didn't invent, but you certainly coined and, as you say in your book, curated it. Right. So, well, you explain for people that haven't read the book or heard about this, what is Greatest Commandment Theology? Sure. So it's rooted in the words of Jesus when he was asked during his ministry, what is the greatest commandment in all of the law? And Jesus replied, the greatest commandment is that you love God with your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. And a second part is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, everything in the law and everything in the prophets hinges on these two. So love for God and love for neighbor as self. If he says everything hinges on both of them, that means we can't separate them. That means your love for God is understood through how you love your neighbor as yourself. So greatest commandment theology is a framework that helps us to live out our faith without having to always ask the question, well, what does the Bible say about that? Because the greatest commandment is the standard and the lens through which we should read and interpret the rest of scripture and through which we should interpret our lived experience. So asking the question, how am I loving myself here? How am I loving my neighbor? And that will tell me how I'm loving God. So that's sort of a faith in action as well. 
not just a belief system. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, uh, I preached recently at the faith community and I had this, this uh, epiphany that struck me because for generations, we've been trying to get people to believe in Jesus. Like, would you believe in Jesus, believe on Jesus? And we want people to have faith in Jesus. And I said, you know, we probably should consider just challenging people to believe Jesus. If you believe what Jesus said, you wouldn't have to spend as much time trying to convince people to believe in Jesus. Ah, okay. So if you took this kernel, really, of the greatest commandment theology, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Is that kind of what you're saying is like, go to the core of that and the rest will follow? Absolutely. If you, if you use that as your framework, everything else will follow. It'll make everything else make sense. Okay. Now here's kind of a tricky one, sort of along those same lines, the commandment about honor thy mother and father. Mm-hmm. And some of us didn't have great role models mm-hmm. and the word honor can throw me off. Sure. So will you talk a little bit about what that actually can mean? And I'm so glad you said what that actually can mean and, and not what does it mean in absolute terms, because it meant something to the person that wrote it when they wrote it within their context. And then it means something to us in our context. So in some modern day Christian settings, the interpretation of that passage is much more strict and rigid than what you and I would come to understand. Right. Um, uh, I read in a book called Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes that in Indonesian Christian communities, eloping is a cardinal sin within that community of faith because what, what you're doing is dishonoring your mother and your father. Because their interpretation of that is you're supposed to do what your parents tell you to do. And what other decision in life should you listen to your parents more than the person that you're going to marry? So if you elope, you can get excommunicated from the church. Oh, interesting. That is an interpretation of that particular passage. When I go to that passage and ask, how does the greatest commandment apply here? It takes on many different perspectives because in different stages in life, honoring your parents looks different. You know, when you're dependent on your parents, honoring them looks different than when you're independent because your decisions affect them in different ways, depending on your relationship to them. When, when we're dealing with, let's just, let's just deal with adults since your audience is primarily adults, right? Okay. Yes. When it comes to honoring your mother and your father, I look at it as how can I be a good son to my parents in a way that doesn't disconnect me from myself? Ooh, that's good. How can you be a good son to your parents in a way that doesn't disconnect you from yourself? Right. right. So basically, how do you be true to yourself and still honor them? Correct. And what does that look like? Right. And that's different for everybody because sometimes people are in relationship with their parents and the only way their parents will be happy with them is if they're willing to disconnect from themselves. That happens a lot with people in the LGBTQ plus community. Their parents can't accept them if they don't disconnect from their human sexuality. So in that moment, 
if you disconnect from yourself in order to make them happy, you're, you're still not honoring them. And not honoring God because of who God wants you to be your full self. Right. You, right? If, you, if you start by dishonoring yourself, then you're ultimately going to dishonor your neighbor and God. So I had an experience. I talked to a woman on Mother's Day and I said, happy Mother's Day. And I thought she's, we were talking about her daughter saying something and it had to do with honoring thy mother. And I said, oh, I thought you were saying you were honoring your, your own mothering, like honoring mm. yourself as a mother. She was like, oh, that's good. And I said, I, I just misheard what she said. But I was thinking, too, we may not have the best role models in our lives for our mother or our father, but we can honor the parts of ourselves that are mothering that are fathering Mm -hmm. and and maybe that's good enough. Absolutely. And you can honor the people who have been motherly or fatherly in your life, even if it wasn't the people who gave birth to you, even if it wasn't the people who, you know, were the primary caretakers. Hopefully we've all had somebody who has provided that kind of care for us because how tragic would it be to not have anybody we could look to and say that person genuinely cared for me. So that's yes. kind of that's kind of how I look at the whole mother father piece even if it's not the the people that gave birth to you. Okay, so I'm going to take this thought just a tad further because you're great about boundaries. Yes. And loving with boundaries. So Let's just say that my father or my mother abused me Mm -hmm. and they haven't asked for forgiveness or admitted it or anything like that. But how am I to honor them, even though I don't want to have a relationship with them, say? This is hypothetical, by the way. Both my parents are dead. No, no, I understand. And I didn't have an abusive relationship with either of my parents. So everything that I'm saying is theoretical. I still ask the question, how does the greatest commandment apply here? And my, my perspective on forgiveness does not require an individual to reinstate that person back into their original position in your life. So you can forgive somebody and still keep the distance because sometimes allowing that person back into that original position only continues to compound the harm that was already done to you. So I have three steps for forgiveness or three, three components of forgiveness to kind of break it down. The okay. first part of forgiveness says that I mean you no harm. That's number one. If I'm going to forgive you, I first have to at least acknowledge I mean you no harm. I'm not seeking to get you back. I'm not seeking to cause you the abuse that you caused me. I mean you no harm. Then number two, a second part of forgiveness says I wish you no harm. So not only am I not going to actively try to get you back, I'm not going to secretly hope somebody else does to you what you did to me. And then the third and very important part of forgiveness is I refuse to let you harm me further. And that's the hard part of forgiveness. How do I uh, make sure I don't allow this to happen to me again? And it's not a you know black and white binary kind of decision that you make. It, sometimes you got to take a step forward and maybe take a step to the side, take a step back and kind of figure out 
what do the boundaries look like in that relationship even after forgiveness? And I've found people talking to me about forgiveness and saying, well, but if I forgive them, I have to have them in my life. And I said, no, it doesn't mean you don't love them as a child of God. But if somebody's hurt you, you're not required. And I think this is where the confusion comes in, in uh, narrower perspectives of Christianity. Absolutely. So applying the greatest commandment, that third piece about I refuse to let you harm me anymore, that is loving myself, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And every part of it is, is loving yourself. Because if you're walking around holding some type of resentment in your heart towards that person, hoping that they get what's coming to them, you're taking up too much of your own energy worried about what's going on with them. Like there are, there's a better use for that energy than to secretly hope something happens to that person. You could do better by harnessing that energy to doing what makes you come alive, to thinking positively about your destiny and your future. So all of it is about loving yourself. That third one is just directly, like it's, it's, it's easy to see, like, yeah, I'm not gonna be harmed by this anymore. And if I have an abusive parent, I can make the decision to not allow them to harm me any further than they have. And that doesn't mean I'm dishonoring them. It just means I've made a decision for my own life. To honor myself. Correct. Uh, There are many women who have sons and there may not be fathers in the picture. Or there may be fathers in the picture, but maybe they're not like actively engaged. And as a mother, I had to go through the, no matter what, I'm still my son's mother, so I cannot give him what a father would give him. How would you recommend that either single mothers or mothers with sort of absent fathers, even if they're there physically, how would you suggest that you provide some fathering for some of the children, knowing full well that as a woman, there's only one piece of this I can give. Right. I I believe that that's rooted in being a part of a good community, whatever your community is. If it's your family, if you have a community of friends, if you have a church community that you trust, it could be your book club or dinner club or whatever, just a community of people that are also a part of your child's life that you can trust that they'll provide sound wisdom or advice that they otherwise would not get. There are, there are situations where when you consider somebody who's raising a child by themselves, but there are good people at their church that they like also give attention to the child and spend time with the child Uh, You have organizations like Big Brothers Big Sisters who provide uh, mentorship to children who might be in single parent households. There are a number of different ways you can do that. And I think most of it is rooted in community. And I think also intuitively, we find, as you said, just because you didn't necessarily have a parent, you find somebody to draw those qualities from. It's almost intuitively we'll reach for that what we need. Like in my case, I had Alma. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I had teachers that were mothers to me that were good role models. Mm-hmm. So if you don't live in isolation, you're saying you can find people to help father your child by being role models. Right. Am, and I, am I getting and, that right? And I, I want to make sure I'm not like minimizing what the absence of a father means. Like there, there's no way to completely replace that. Like if somebody grows up and doesn't have their father present, you can't replace that. You learn how to live with it. You learn how to cope. You learn how to process it, but it's a part of your human experience. So, you know, you'll find other ways to supplement what you didn't have, but it doesn't change the fact that you didn't have it. Right. So there will always be that wound there of not having had a father whether it was physically or emotionally. Right. There, but, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part of the human experience that I've seen in every person that didn't have a father around. Like It's something that they carry with them, regardless of how well-adjusted they are. Like It's something that they carry with them. And I think we, we all have to just be okay with that reality. Have you ever seen it where somebody who had that experience growing up was able to really internalize God as father. Oh, sure. And, and get that peace. Yeah. Because sometimes people don't have a relationship with their father. And then that makes it, that makes God as father even more important to them. Sometimes people don't have a relationship with their father and then it makes it hard for them to connect to God as father. It it just all depends on the individual. I've seen both. Like I've seen people say, well, my father wasn't around. So it helps for me to see God as father. And then some people say, well, my father wasn't around, so I can't connect to God as father. And everybody has their own journey and their own story. Well, and you know what I'm learning the older I get, Christian? The more it's really about disconnecting, in a sense, from all of the people I have dependency needs, whether it's for love or admiration or I'm important to them, that it really all comes back to me my relationship with myself and my relationship with God, what right. I conceive God to be. So maybe letting go of some of these uh, needs to be connected to our parents or to spend a lot of time looking at, oh, I didn't get this. I didn't get that. I have this wound. I have this trauma. It's like, okay, but if the ultimate goal is just to be one with yourself and God, then I won't say it makes it easier. No, it doesn't make it easier. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A lot of therapy would help in situations like this as well. There's only there's only so much somebody like myself who is a faith leader can do to help somebody work through this. There's a there's a skill set that comes with being a therapist that is uniquely formulated to help people to unpack this kind of baggage. So I always recommend that people see a therapist um, because you can't just lean on your pastor for all things emotional health. That's just, that's not good wisdom. Right. And then that gets to sometimes a dependency where you're better off actually hiring a therapist. And I think people forget about that. It's like, I'm going to hire a plumber because I am not good at plumbing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to hire a therapist because I can't see some of the things that somebody else might be able to see. Right. 
when we have a physical injury, we're quick to go to the doctor or find somebody to help us bandage that injury. But when we have an emotional injury, we think we're supposed to, we're supposed to just like suppress it, cover it up. Right. Or be embarrassed about it. Right. Or like, oh, I should be able to figure this out. I'm not going to be able to figure out how to put a cast on my broken wrist. Right. I am nursing a knee injury right now. And without the help of doctors, I don't know what shape my knee would be in. Yeah, but and you but you didn't go through the whole thing of, ooh, I should have to be ashamed to ask for help. It was a natural thought. I'm going to hire these people to help me get better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And with your wife being a therapist and your wife, if I recall, specializes in religious trauma. Correct. Religious trauma, gay affirmative therapy, and just overall emotional harmony. So I think you're so right. We do need to reach outside of ourselves and not think the church has all the answers or if we would just be more spiritual or we'd meditate more, that we could figure it out ourselves. We do need help. We all do. (laughs) there's no way around it there's no way around it like if the 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 human experience is not meant to be carried out in isolation that's why people go crazy in solitary confinement so we're we're all a part of a larger community and there are people who are skilled in areas where we are not that can help us work through and also even if like and i'll say this like even therapists need therapists Absolutely. The same way doctors need doctors and pastors need pastors. Yes. Yes. We all have our blind spots, regardless of what field we're in or how evolved we are. Absolutely. Very good. Personal personal trainers who who compete in physique competitions hire a trainer. They're at the peak of physical fitness, yet they have somebody training them. I know. I love that idea is we are not uh, all unto ourselves. We We are are all in this together. Well, I love talking to you, Christian. This is always, I learn so much and I always appreciate what you share with the listeners. So I always enjoy it. I appreciate you thinking of me and allowing me to share on your platform. Well, And I would like to say to you, because you are a father to so many, happy Father's Day to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I honor that part of you. The book is Breaking All the Rules, an ancient framework for modern faith. You can pick up the book. You can see everything that Christian is doing at christianasmith.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. A as in applesmith.com. You're wonderful and I thank you and I hope I'm going to see you again soon. We'll we'll do another show. Sounds good. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Alma Am I Racist? If you'd like to hear more of the podcast, you can go to our website almaamiracist.com, or you can get it where you get any of your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be here again next week to hear another episode of Alma Am I Racist, an anti-racist pro-black podcast. Thank you.